Over the course of this term, we have been in a preaching series called We Believe, which has been looking at the foundations of our faith. Now, this term has been a little bit bitty with the series. We've done a mini-series on generous living. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, we did another mini-series a few weeks ago called Invite Your World. So we've been jumping in and out of the We Believe series. Uh, But today, we're jumping back into it for the final time. Uh, And I'm going to be looking at it again. Let me just jog our memories for what we've covered so far. We've been looking at the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement that was written in the 300s to outline the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. And we've gone through it and we've looked at the fact that God is our Father and what that means. We've looked at Jesus and we've looked at the reality that he is not just a man, but he is God. And that we've looked at his life, his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness that makes uh, the forgiveness that the resurrection makes possible. We've looked at Jesus' second coming and the final judgment and the life everlasting that's on offer. And we've also looked at the Holy Spirit. And then today, as we close it out, I am going to look at the church. And I uh, have been really excited about this because I unashamedly love the church. I love the whole church, not just the vineyard tribe of of which we're a part. That's us in this this church here, part of the vineyard movement of churches. And I love the vineyard, but I love the whole church, the whole body of Christ. And, And if you're here and you're exploring faith, one of the things that we say to people if you're looking at different churches is we say there are so many great churches in Cardiff. The most important thing is that you find home and a place that you can follow Jesus and be equipped to do that. And if it's with us, amazing. If it's somewhere else, also amazing because we love the whole church. But you know what? I especially love our church. Seven and uh, a bit years ago, I graduated from university. And, you know, I mean, I at least felt like I had the world at my feet as I graduated. And I could have gone anywhere. I could have done anything in that moment. But I stayed in Cardiff. And I stayed in Cardiff for one reason. And it was this church. I loved this church and I didn't want to leave it. And then about five years ago, I had an amazing opportunity to move out to the States and live out there uh, and work out there. And, and I said no, because I love this church and I didn't want to leave this church, this community of God that the Lord had called me to. And now when I made those decisions, I wasn't making them as someone on staff, as one of the pastors. I was making them as one of the members of the local body of Christ here in Cardiff. Two weeks ago, um, James shared some stories in the first part of the Generous Lives series. And he shared stories about what we've been up to as a church over the last 12 months. And he shared about where we're headed over the next 12, about investing in multi-site, investing in the next generation, the younger people in our community, and investing in compassion. And I love that. I love that that is what we are about as a church. And if you missed it, go back and listen. I mean, if you were here, I don't know about you, it it hit me right in the feels. I was literally, especially in the morning when the first time I heard it, I was sat there and I was just, I was going to say weeping. I was weeping for me, which means kind of welling up. But I know if I'm welling up, I'm like inside, I'm weeping. Uh, But it was just amazing to hear what God is doing and what he's got in store for us. See, I love that our church here is one where we care about the poor and the marginalized. But we don't just say that. We live it out. I love that in our church, we care about young people and children encountering God for themselves and doing the stuff that Jesus did. It's not, we're not a church where it's like, oh, the adults do the stuff and we babysit the kids. No, we believe that the kids have as much access to Jesus and his kingdom as we do. I love that we are a church where we passionately believe that the power of God can break in and can heal and can set people free. But we're also willing to live in the tension that sometimes we pray for people and they don't get healed. And that sometimes we pray for people and they don't get set free in that moment. 
I love that we have small groups of people who meet around the city to worship, to read the Bible, to pray together, to do life together. Small groups where you'll sit around and someone will get a new job and you'll celebrate and be like, yes, this is amazing. And then someone else will go, actually, you know what, I'm having a really hard time. And then as a small group, you'll move instantly from celebrating to standing around them and praying for them. That we don't just get lost here on a Sunday in a big crowd, but we meet together regularly. I love that we are a church that exists for those yet to come, that we have a mindset that there's always space for one more, that our heart is to do everything we can to make it as easy as possible for those who don't, know, don't yet know Jesus to find him. I love that we are a church that says everyone gets to play, that we don't believe that the stuff of the kingdom is just for, for us as pastors, but we believe that every single person in this room who, who follows Jesus has been released with the authority of the keys of the kingdom. I love that we are a church that values worship, values prayer, values biblical teaching, evangelism, discipleship. I love that we are a church that is for women in leadership. I love that we are a church that looks to raise and release people at every opportunity possible. I could go on. I love our church. It is my family. I love that this church family has given me opportunities over the 10 years that I've been a part of it to grow in my faith, to love Jesus, to serve him, to serve this city. And I start with that because I love the church and I want you to hear my heart for it. And as, as, we're, as I'm talking tonight and as we're going through this, I would love for you to just begin to think about how do you feel about the church? What do you believe about the church? And maybe to ask the question, well, how committed am I to the local church? So tonight we are going to be looking at the line in the creed that says this, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of the saints. And before we dive in, let me just clear up what those two phrases mean because they're not necessarily language that we use every day. So the first one of the two, the Holy Catholic Church, that just means the Holy Universal Church. It's not, the word Catholic there is not how we would use it today where we would maybe think about the Roman Catholic Church, but it's a word that just means the universal church. And by universal, we mean all churches that honor Jesus and hold to the truth of the teachings we find in the, in the creeds, Orthodox Christianity, essentially. So that's that first one. The second one is the communion of the saints. Now that sounds like quite a grand phrase, but really it's just an archaic phrase for a really simple idea. Christians should live in community. And what we, say, what we mean when we say this is that we should be side by side doing life together. Now, the, the term saints, um, when it was originally in the New Testament, it meant just everyday believers. I know across church history, it's become this thing where we think about a saint being someone who's particularly holy or pious or maybe has done a particularly good work. But in scripture, it's really clear that if you love and follow Jesus, you're a saint. So we're all saints here. That's, that's you and me, are a saint. And so when we say the communion of the saints, when you read the New Testament, it's clear that the saints, believers, followers of Jesus, are called to live in close community together. So what we're saying, when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying we love the whole church, we're for the whole church, not just vineyard as I was saying at the start, but for the whole church. And when we say the communion of the saints, we're saying, well, we believe that Christians should live in community. So that's what those two phrases mean. We're going to unpack that a bit more um, by looking in the book of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up to Ephesians 4. 
If you're new to uh, the Bible, uh, as we said in the break, we've actually run out of them downstairs, but we'd love to give you one. Maybe download one on your phone now if you haven't got one. Uh, Ephesians, if you've got your Bible, if you open up about 50 to 100 pages from the back, you'll find it about there. It's in the New Testament. It was a letter written by a guy called Paul who had a great name, and he started a whole bunch of... um, it's a great name. A whole bunch of churches right at the start of Christianity. And this was a letter he wrote to a group of churches in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding areas. Uh, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 11. It says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grays and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So let's jump in from the start, verse 11. The passage begins with this phrase, so Christ himself gave. And this roots us in our fundamental belief. And what I want to start by saying is that the church belongs to Jesus and not us. The, the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul writes, has quite a lot to say about the church. And in chapter 1, verse 22, he begins by saying, Paul begins by saying that Jesus is the head of the church. And he is. When Jesus spoke to his disciple and follower, um, Peter, and we find in Matthew 16, he says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. He doesn't say on this rock I will build the church or a church. He says my church. The church belongs to Jesus. And that's important because actually it helps us let go of it. The evening service doesn't belong to me as the site pastor. Vineyard Church in Cardiff doesn't belong to James and Jen, our senior pastors. Yes, as this passage says, Christ gave certain roles and people to help shepherd the flock of God in a local community. But he gave it because he's the head. And so we just want to be really clear as we begin this, that we believe that Jesus owns the church. He's the head of it. It belongs to him. We do it all for him. And it's not ours. We are just entrusted with it. So he says that. Now, as we're talking about the church, some of us might be going, well, what do we really mean? And those of us who have maybe uh, grown up in the church or spent a little bit of time around Christianity might have heard people say the phrase, well, you know, the church is the people, it's not the building. And that's true, but you know what, it's not the whole picture. Uh, When you read the New Testament, what you find is the word most often translated as church is the word ecclesia. Now, ecclesia referred to two things. The first of those things was a group of people that were set apart and selected in a a town or a city to be the representatives of that community. But the second thing that the word ecclesia means and refers to is the location that that people met. And so when the writers of the New Testament were using this word, which wasn't a religious word, it was just a common language word, the, the readers and the receivers of these letters would have been really clear and going, okay, we get what you mean. We understand it. What you're saying is that we are the people of God, that we've been set apart and selected by God to look after the interests of his kingdom, 
And that we're going to have a point where we meet and that we're instructed in the ways, of, the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom. We're going to be equipped to follow him better. And so really the truth is, yes, the church isn't the building. It is the people. And so we are the church, but we also gather as the church. And I think that's important because actually there's, there's some hesitancy in our community sorry, in our culture, in our society, around committing to the local gathering of the church. And I'm going to unpack this a bit later on. But see, when you read the New Testament, you find that it's just, it's kind of black and white. It's so clear. Christians meet together in local community to be equipped, to grow, to mature in their faith. They gather as a group of people. And so when we say, yes, oh, it's not the church. Sorry, the church isn't the, the building, it's the people. It's like, yes, that's true. But we need to understand that the church is also the gathering point that we come together to be instructed in God's way. So let's jump back into the passage, back into Ephesians 4. Why do we gather? Verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. So we gather to be equipped. Say that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We gather, first and foremost, to be united around the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is. We want to share the good news of Jesus, the gospel message, that he died for our sins, that we can be forgiven by him, that our shame and our brokenness can be wiped away by his grace, that Jesus broke the power of death and darkness, and that, that to him every power has to bow. And that through his resurrection, he gives us an invitation into life everlasting, to fullness of life that starts now in this moment. That we who were once far from God can become adopted sons and daughters in his family. And if you're here and you haven't encountered Jesus before, maybe you're exploring him, this, this is the gospel message we want you to hear. That there's an invitation to fullness of life. There's an invitation to new life available for you tonight. What I love, though, about Christianity and what I love about the church when you read the New Testament and when you read this passage is it's clear that we don't just stop there. So yes, we are all about sharing the gospel message and we want to let people know that absolutely. But we also want to grow and mature as followers of Jesus. When you read the New Testament, you find Jesus and a number of other people use this example of being born again. That when we become Christians, when we put our trust and our hope in Jesus, it's almost like our identity changes. Not almost like it is that our identity changes. And Jesus in John 3 uses this example. He says, you'll be born again of the Spirit. And throughout the letters of the New Testament, this idea is unpacked. And, and they say, well, we're adopted sons and daughters of God. And that we have to grow in maturity in that new identity. And I find this a really helpful way of understanding the process of maturity. Uh, because when a child is adopted, when that document is signed, their identity changes. They are now a member of that new family. They have been given the full access, the full rights of access that a child of that family has. They can never be any more or less of a child of that family than they are in that moment that that document signed. It's done. But who knows that it's going to take them time to learn to live as a child of that family. The same is true for us, right? When we become a Christian, our identity changes. We're born again of the Spirit. We take on a new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. But it then takes time for us to walk out what living in that new identity is like. 
think about it again in the adoption analogy. If, if a child, let's say a child of seven or eight is adopted and they've come out of a really abusive family. See, they're adopted now and they're now safe. They are safe, they can trust their parents. But it's clearly going to take them a long time to realize that they truly are safe. It's going to take them a while to renew their mind and their pattern of thinking, to understand that they can trust their parents. And it's the same with us. Romans uh, 12, which is another letter that Paul wrote, he says, be tr- don't, be, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The process of discipleship is that we would renew our minds to be in line with Jesus. You know, in my role, I get to chat to people a lot, and sometimes I can find that Christians can be a bit downcast because they're maybe like, well, I'm struggling with the same pattern of behavior that I have been for a while, or I just can't seem to stop thinking in this way. And you know what? It's, it's this realization in the gospel that we were set free, but we're being set free. And what I love at the heart of the gospel is that it allows space for the process. Now, hear me, hear me really clearly. I am not saying that sin is okay. It isn't. We need to live and walk in holiness. But what I am saying is the process of maturity that we find in the gospel allows space for that process. Take captive every thought, as it says in the New Testament. Well, if we're going to take captive every thought that isn't aligned with Jesus, that implies that we're probably going to have thoughts that aren't in line with Jesus. And that as we grow in maturity, it's just learning to be like, okay, I'm going to be right. I'm going to take that captive. I'm going to get rid of it. That doesn't. That isn't in line with Jesus. I'm going to move away from it. I don't know about you. I want to be mature. I don't want to let fear and anxiety, self-loathing depression, lust, porn addiction, alcoholism, whatever it may be for you. Like, I don't want to let that rule my life. I don't want to let it rule your life. Who who would rather be a person of peace than a person of anxiety? Who would rather be someone who loves and honors their, their wives and their husbands or their girlfriends and boyfriends or their friends than someone who dishonors them? He would, be, he would rather want to be someone who grows in the fruits of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, self-control, so on, rather than living in chaos. I, I want that, and surely you do too, right? We want to become mature. Yeah, I'll say this quickly. No, you can ask me about it afterwards. So, <laughs> ooh, what was it? You'll never know. No, you will if you ask me. So, we gather as the church to be equipped to mature as Christians. Now, if you look up the definition of being equipped, it's to provide everything that someone needs to, provide, to perform a certain task. So, what Paul is saying here in verses 12 and 13 is that Jesus gave us the church, and in it is everything we need to serve, to be built up, to reach unity in our faith, to become mature followers of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 14 and 15 to unpack this more. So, let's dive back into the passage. Then we will no longer be infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. It's that idea again, isn't it? Okay, we're born again and okay, well, we start as infants in the faith. And Paul is saying, well, let's not stay there. Let's mature into adulthood of following Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us in our time? I have spoken, you know, I, I try to speak on it whenever I can, the philosophy of individualism that is rampant in our society. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you'd have probably heard me talk about it and some of the other pastors and preachers talk on it because it's so important that we understand the message of our culture. And I don't have time to unpack it really here, but the reality is the culture of individualism has resulted in Western Christianity uh, believing that you don't need to be committed to the local church. Now, for some, that might be a really extreme view of going, well, I just don't need the church at all. I've got Spotify, I've got YouTube, I've got podcasts. That, that does me. That's how I engage with Jesus. It's wonderful. And so you've got that extreme end. But then you've also got the, the kind of more middle ground where it's actually just that our idea of what being committed is has shifted. I was chatting to um, uh, one of the pastors at Birmingham Vineyard, a guy called Michael. He uh, is from the States, and he was on staff over at a church in the States. And he was sharing with me last weekend about how uh, his church in the States used to put on a barbecue once a year uh, for like, local bikers in their town. You know, they had kind of big motorcyclists, kind of gangs in their town. And so they'd put this big barbecue on and this church service. Uh, and he said that the reality was most of the, the bikers that came just came and ate the food. They didn't engage with the church service that was going on inside. Uh, but they did it once a year, every year. And about six months after one of these gatherings, Michael met this, this biker randomly. And uh, he was kind of saying to him, and this biker was like, oh, hey, I, I'm part of your church. You're my pastor. And Michael was like, I don't know. And as he unpacked with this guy, it turned out that this guy only ever came to this barbecue and he didn't ever engage with actually what was going on in the church service. But for him, he was part of the church. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the community. You're my pastor. Now for him, what it meant to be part of the local body of Christ was so far away from what the Bible talks about. Now, quick caveat. We in the vineyard, we let people set the pace at which they explore us and join us as a community. And so we've got to kind of hold these things in tension that if you're, if you're exploring church and faith, we're not saying to you, hey, you've got to be here every single week and if you're not, well, we're going to put Mark against your name and then we'll phone you up in the week and go, hey, where were you? No, we're not, we're not like that. You can set the pace at which you explore us. The reality is, though, what the Bible says about how we grow in maturity and following Jesus is that we commit to the local body of Christ. That is the reality When I was thinking about it, uh, I was thinking about it as, as if, you know, if I was going to chat to someone, let's say one of you came up to me and you're like, oh yeah, man, I'm a rugby player. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, who do, who do you play for? What positions do you play? And imagine if you were like, oh, well, no, man, I don't actually play rugby. I just, uh, I, I watch the games and I listen to the commentary and sometimes when I'm in the gym, like I pretend I'm in the ruck and I kind of do some big, big pushes. It's like, cool. You're not a rugby player. You like rugby. You're interested in it. You're not a rugby player. Because to be a rugby player, you've got to play rugby. Now look, every analogy is limited, but it's kind of the same with us, right? 
If we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, as it says in the word of God, we have to commit to the local church. And look, if this is, if this is slightly offensive, take it up with Jesus. Say, read scripture. See what you think. What I'm doing is saying what's in there. Now, for those of us who engage with our online church and podcasts and Spotify, that kind of stuff, hear me out. I'm not knocking them. I love them. I think they've got a place. I think they're helpful to a degree. They are not church. Really clearly, why are they not church? Because in online church, or if you're just listening to a podcast of your favorite preacher and a Spotify playlist, you don't have to serve coffee to someone that you don't like. It's true. You don't have to turn up to church and forgive someone who's let you down again. You don't have to come to church and maybe listen to the person preaching who has offended you, who has maybe done something to hurt you. And you've got to go, okay, well, I'm going to humble myself in this moment and still learn from this person. Because the reality is the local body of Christ allows us space to work this stuff out. You know, when we, when we just hide away, when we're not committed, even, maybe, maybe it's not that you do on one church, maybe it's that you're keeping the church at arm's distance, maybe it's that you're kind of like, oh, I come once in a while, maybe once every two months, once every six weeks, and I just don't let people in, or, or maybe I come each, each week, but I, I just kind of come in late and I leave early, yeah, that way around, and you're just like, I'm, I just don't want people to know me. Well, that's fine. You're so welcome to come at whatever pace you want. But you know what? If you want to start growing in your faith and working some of this stuff out, you actually have to be in community with people to begin to forgive them, to show grace, to also receive grace. One of the most transforming things in my life has been when I have done something wrong, maybe to a friend or a leader, and I have gone and repented to them and been like, you know what? I know that I've like royally messed up here. And that person has shown me grace and extended forgiveness. And in that moment, my heart has melted and I've encountered the love and the forgiveness of God in a fresh way. And I've been like, wow, forgiveness really changes things. But you don't, you don't experience that unless you're known. And you're not known unless you commit. And so the challenge is, for those of us in the room who maybe are keeping church at an arm's distance, what does it look like for you to get committed? Maybe for you, it's just a baby step. And it's just saying, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to try and come more regularly. That's all I'm ready to do. Cool. If that's you, that's amazing. Maybe it's actually going, you know what? I come on a Sunday, but I need to get plugged into a small group because I just get lost in the crowd. And I want to be, be known. And you know, I don't want to be known, but I want to want to be known. And so I just know I need to make this step. Maybe that's you. Look, you know, I'm, I'm also aware that many of us in the room, you know, I'm talking to a group of people who have come to church on a Sunday night. So you guys think it's at least a little bit important, right? So I'm aware some of you are like, no, I am committed. And, and you know what? Maybe the question that we need to think about is, is around how do I help other people be committed? What does it look like for me to make it easy for them to come into the, into the family of God? Because the reality is, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few months. When we've been in community for a while, it's easy to go, well, I'm fine. I've got my friends. If, if I'm honest, I, I quite like my friends and I don't really want any more friends. I don't have time for them. So you know what? Someone else can go chat to that new person. 
Someone else can invite them around for dinner. I don't have time. I just want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to invite them to hang out with my friends because then that's going to make my time with my friends awkward maybe. So someone else can do it. Someone else can start a new small group so that person has a community to join. I love my small group. You know what the challenge is? It is costly. It is going to cost our time. It is going to cost maybe leaving small group and starting a new one. But you know what? That's the obedience to Jesus that we sang about. And it's like, it's my joy to lose my life, to find it in Jesus Christ. I'm going to lay it all down, God. I'm going to be obedient to your call. It's not just songs. It's not just words. It's actions. And you call me to welcome people, and I'm going to open my, myself up again. I'm going to invite people around. I'm going to make time for them. So what is it for you? Finally, just as I'm beginning to come into land, let's just look at verse 16. It says this, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grays and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Elsewhere in scripture, the, a metaphor is used that the church is like a body. And that one, you know, one part, you know, one church is one person's a foot, one person's a knee, one person's an eye, and so on. And effectively, what it's saying is that we all have a role to play. Paul is, is using this analogy here, and he's saying, hey, all of us, when we work together, help each other grow into maturity in Christ. So if you're here, and maybe you, you come, and you've been coming for a while, and you're like, well, it just doesn't seem like they need me. You know, worship happens, the, the service happens refreshments and welcome happens and the kids church happens in the morning and compassion you know I just don't think they need me there is a place for you there is a place for you we're all invited to partake in this it's, the analogy we often use is one of the family meal that someone uh, someone lays the table someone uh, cuts the veg someone roasts the meat someone serves the food or well, less meat now 2019 you know go veggie we love the environment um, for real uh, <laughs> maybe that's going to challenge some of you um, anyway, sorry, off topic. But the analogy is, I just need to be clear. We don't, yeah, don't eat meat anymore in my household. Anyway, moving on entirely. But the analogy is that it's a family meal where we get to partake all together. It's not about a few people doing it. It's about all of us joining in. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't feel like there's a space for me, there is a space for you. Even if you're here and you're like, well, I don't have any gifts to give, there's a space for you. Absolutely, there's a space for you. So come be involved. What does it look like for you to be committed? Because as we gather week after week, midweek in different spaces, we gather to unite around the truth of the gospel. And as we do that, we, we combat the lies of our society about isolation and individualism and withdrawing and saying, well, no, it's just better to put these walls up around you and not be known. And hey, you know what? It's just normal to live with fear and anxiety and to not like yourself. Hey, that's just, that's just life. Everyone goes through that. Just binge on Netflix and just to kind of deal with it. No, fullness of life is on offer in Jesus. And as we gather, we unite around that truth. And, and we find that at the end of church, maybe it's like, man, I just don't believe that tonight. I need someone to lay a hand on me and pray for me because I'm struggling to renew my mind to be in line with Jesus' thinking. Hey, you know what? If you, if you stayed at home and binged on Netflix, kind of hard to do that, isn't it? What does it look like for you to be committed to the local church? And so that's the question, the questions I started with. How do you feel about the church? 
What do you think of the church? Because the church is God's plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. The way that he's bringing his kingdom is through the local body of believers. And so we need to love the church. We need to love, love, love the church. You know what, just super quickly, I'm going to say one of the two things that I skipped over earlier. When I say we have to love the church, that does not mean that we brush over things when the church gets things wrong. So there are moments in church history, there have been too many, frankly, where the church has got things really, really badly wrong, and then they've got them even more wrong in the way they've handled them. So the obvious one that would come to mind is abuse, sexual abuse in the church. It's horrific. It is so, so bad. And what what has, has almost made it worse is the way that many parts of the church have tried to hide it. And that is not okay. 100% not okay. You know, we love the church, but we still confront things when, when the church acts in ways that don't align with Jesus. And we do so with openness, with transparency, with honesty, and with justice at its core. And so if you've been hurt by the church, I am sorry on behalf of the church. And you know what? If, 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 if you've been hurt by the church and the church has handled it badly, that does not reflect how Jesus would want to handle it. And so I guess my encouragement, and I, I, you know, I wasn't planning to say this, but I just felt like the Lord prompted me to because maybe there are people in here of just bringing that before the Lord, bringing that again into community. Sometimes I chat to people and it's like they're still carrying the baggage and the bitterness of an event that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. And it's like, you know what, actually part of that is because they haven't brought it into the light, they haven't processed it with people, they haven't entered into the renewing of their mind to walk in the freedom that Jesus offers. So, slight aside, but... We have been preaching through the Apostles' Creed in this series. And so what I would love for us to do in finishing, as I've talked about gathering around the truth, is that we would stand and we would read the creed together and declare out loud the truth that it says. So why don't you stand now, if you're able, that is. Now, if you're here and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, you don't have to say anything, you can just listen to us. And if you're new to church, we don't do lays of liturgy, which is what this is, where we kind of gather around one sort of passage or something like this and read it out together. But there is power in it, and we're going to do it together. Say, oh, wonderful, there we go. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Wonderful. So guys, stay standing. Uh, if you're new to church, we, we finish with a chance um, to pray for each other and to allow the Spirit of God to fall on us and to respond personally. 
and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to invite the presence of God and we're just going to wait for a moment, give you a chance to process some of what's been said and what you're thinking about it. If you're new to this, don't worry, we're not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. But we just give, give some time, the band will come back up and they'll begin to worship as well. And we just give time to respond. So I encourage you, open yourselves up. It might be helpful to close your eyes and put your hands out as if you're going to receive a gift. You don't need to do that. But sometimes it just helps us not be distracted and sometimes the physical posture of our bodies reflect the posture of our hearts. And so Holy Spirit, where a lot of words have been spoken tonight, would you come now in your stillness? And would you speak to us, come Holy Spirit. And then let's just wait for a moment.